Well, good morning. My family and I have been away for the past three Sundays. Uh, we were visiting our family in Alberta, uh, which was uh, a great time. And we were able to visit uh, my best friend's church. He was preaching there. And then also uh, visit Alyssa's parents' church the, the past two Sundays. Uh, and that was good. But it is good to be back here at Maple Avenue Baptist Church. And we are glad to be with you this morning. And uh, I, for some reason, I'm up here preaching this morning as well, which is, which is a privilege for me, and hopefully it'll be helpful for you. Um, so we have been in the series called The Good News, and uh, most of the text for that series has come out of the New Testament, but today we'll be actually in the Old Testament, and we'll be in the book of Isaiah. You can begin to turn there uh, if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers will kind of walk uh, up and down, and so if you need a Bible, just please raise your hand, and we will be glad to hand one to you. And uh, uh, if you have your own Bible or you're getting a Bible now, just turn to Isaiah 66, or no, sorry, Isaiah 42, we'll be in Isaiah 42. Uh, that'll be mighty confusing if you're in the wrong chapter, especially in Isaiah, but Isaiah 42, and we'll be considering the whole chapter. And um, so Isaiah 42, you can be turning there, Isaiah 42, 1 through 25, and as is customary in our church, if you would stand for the reading of Scripture in honor of God's Word, that would be great if you're able to do so. If, if not, don't feel bad about uh, staying seated. So we're going to be in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 25. We'll read the text in its entirety. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare, before they spring forth I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that fills it. The coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout for the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. For a long time... I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. 
I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? Or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say, restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not I, the Lord, against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, in whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set on him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. You may be seated as we pray. Father, what a long and complex passage. Part of it because it is unfamiliar to us. And I just pray and I ask and I plead with you, O God, that you would help us to make sense of this passage this morning. I know that we are not going to be able to uncover and unmine all of its truths. But I pray that the things that we talk about here this morning would be helpful for us as we walk with you, our God. I am aware also that there might be some here who are listening and joining us for the first time or as a newcomer who might not know you. And I just pray that you be at work in their hearts, helping them to see the beauties and the wonders of the salvation that you've accomplished for us. And I pray that you would help all of us, help me as the preacher to articulate these things clearly, help my friends to listen attentively to your word so that we are not like Israel who though having ears were unable to hear. Help us to hear your word this morning, we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, music is found all over the world. So regardless of your ethnicity or the country in, uh, in which you live, regardless of the time period of history that you find yourself in, regardless of how developed your country is, uh, regardless of your geographical location, music can be found. And music is a wonderful thing because it has the ability to capture and articulate our inmost thoughts, our complex emotions, and the things which are on our hearts and on our minds in a way that perhaps no other medium is able to do. Music gives voice to our deep emotions and it articulates what is on our hearts and what is on our minds. And music is also able to inspire and motivate the masses. Music is also important because it reveals what is most important to a given culture. 
Music often expresses, it gives voice to, and it praises the things which a culture values and treasures. And we might even say that the music of a culture reveals to us the idols of said culture. Now, we're not going to get into all the specifics or the examples of that this morning, but I just want to make the case at the outset that music expresses what is most important to us. And my goal this morning is to lead us towards a song. And so we're going to spend about 20 or so minutes looking at this text, and by the end of this, I want us to arrive at a song. A song that we ought to sing, but a song that we can sing because of the great things that God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So that's where we're headed. We're headed towards a song. And we're obviously in Isaiah 42, and uh, we're going to be looking at all 25 verses, not necessarily comprehensively, but we're going to try and look at it in broad brush strokes. And normally, we take a passage and we work through it kind of progressively from beginning to end. Um, but we are kind of drawing from two sections in Isaiah. And so we're going to look at the two major sections in inverted order. Okay? I think that that will just make the text a little bit more accessible for us. And so first, we're going to look at verses 18 through 25. And if you're taking notes, uh, good for you because it's really hot out. And, um, but, <laughs> but if you're taking notes, the, the first point is 18 through 25. And it's this, the disobedience of the servant leads to the judgment of Yahweh. If you're taking notes, the first point is that the disobedience of the servant leads to the judgment of of Yahweh. Now, if you look at verse 18, um, or sorry, verse 19, it says, who is blind but my servant? And this servant figure in this context refers to the nation of Israel. Now, when you hear the word Israel, the, or the, the name Israel today, I would presume to think that most people in our culture would think of the conflict with Palestine, or would think of policies either, either that are pro-Israel or not, um, or perhaps there's a number of us who would think, well, I'm actually quite indifferent to Israel. I don't, I don't see how Israel affects my day-to-day -day life, and so you really have no uh, awareness of Israel as a nation. Um, but here's the thing. If you are a Christian, then you cannot be someone who is indifferent towards or who ignores the reality of Israel. Now, to be clear, I am not necessarily referring to kind of the, the politics surrounding the modern nation. That's not really what I'm referring to. When I say Israel, I am referring to the fact that if you want to understand the grand meta-narrative, the grand storyline of the Bible upon which we build our lives, then you must be aware of this concept or this people, this nation called Israel. To put it very simply, if you remove Israel out of the Bible, I would venture to say that you would have no Bible. And so if you're a Christian and you build your life upon the Bible, then you need to be concerned about Israel, at least as a theological concept and a historical people. And I just want to provide a brief summary of this nation, okay? And most of you are aware of this. We have looked at this in our series in Genesis, at least briefly. But it begins with a man named Abram. And God calls this man Abraham to himself, and he promises to Abraham that he will give him a people, a land, and great blessing. 
And so over the coming centuries, Abraham's offspring multiply and multiply to be a massive number. Several hundred years later, they find themselves in slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh. And if you know your Bibles, you know that it is through Moses that God delivers his people Israel. God miraculously and powerfully through the ten plagues leads his people out of bondage in Egypt through the Red Sea into freedom. God at that moment establishes Israel as a nation. He gives them his law. He blesses them with his presence. And so Israel is established as the covenant people of Yahweh. And so, for, so Israel was given great privileges, but they were also given great responsibility. Their privilege was that of, out of all the peoples of the earth, they got to be God's chosen people. They alone were God's treasured possession. But they also had special responsibility. And one of their responsibilities was that it would be through Israel, it would be through this people, that the world would come to know what Yahweh was like. Okay? And so, so God gave to Israel the special responsibility of revealing to the nations, revealing to the rest of the world what Yahweh was like. That was their mission. Now with all of that in the background, let's read the indictment against Israel. Look with me to verse 18. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. Put very simply, even though Israel had eyes, they were blind. And even though they had ears, they were deaf. Okay? They were unable to, or they were unwilling to, see the truths of God's word. And they were unwilling to open their ears to hear divine truth. They had closed their eyes to divine light and they had shut their ears to divine truth. And so as a result, Israel miserably failed in their mission. And at, because Israel failed in their mission, God was going to judge them. God was going to judge them because of their disloyalty and their disobedience. And so again, if you know your Old Testament, Israel would be taken into captivity, first by the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians. Okay? And Israel's things would be taken from them. And in fact, they themselves would be taken from their land. And they would be taken as captives into foreign lands and plundered and looted. And they had really no hope of restoration or rescue, at least for a time. And God has brought this upon them, according to our text, for their sins. And even after God brought this judgment upon them, and even after uh, God had destroyed them through these foreign nations the nation of israel did not understand they did not take it to heart and they did not repent and return to the god who had called them and established them as a nation now, now just to be very clear the problem with israel was their disobedience to god's law and their disloyalty to god himself okay it was not a blunder in foreign policy. It was not a weakness in their military might. 
the problem with Israel and the reason why they failed to carry out their mission as a nation was because of their sin. And so one thing that should become very clear to us from these verses is that light and salvation for the world cannot be found in the nation of Israel. Because light and salvation cannot come from a people who willingly disobey God and who willingly devalue his worth. You see, the the nation of Israel chose willingly to disobey God's truth. And on on the other hand, they chose to devalue the worth of God. And light and salvation, according to these verses, cannot come from Israel. The blind cannot lead the blind And the deaf cannot serve as a messenger of God's message to the world. And if that is true of Israel, the way that I want to apply this this morning is how much more true is that of all the nations of the world? You see, because the nations of the world, they they fare no better than Israel. They were not given the special privileges, but it is not as if they bow down and worship to the God of the Bible. And in fact, they erect idols in the place of God and they reject God's truth for a lie. And so hope and light and salvation cannot be found in Israel and hope and light and salvation cannot be found in the nations of the earth either. And just to take that one step further, what that means then is that hope and light and salvation for us as the people of God, it cannot come from the nations. It cannot come from world governments. It cannot come from political parties or political leaders. Our hope, our light, and the salvation that we seek and look to cannot be found in the nations of the world, including the nation of this land. You know that, and I know that, but it is good for us to be reminded that our ultimate hope and our ultimate source of light and salvation does not come from any human government or any human leader or any human political party because all of them, to varying degrees, reject God's truth and devalue his worth. So, if hope and light and salvation can't be found in the chosen nation, it certainly can't be found in the nations of the world, where can hope, light and salvation be found? Where can this come from and you look at verse 18 again or verse 19 sorry you'll, you'll see that israel is referred to again as my servant as the servant of yahweh and the first servant failed miserably in his mission okay so if you think of like a servant and maybe he is serving the king and the queen uh, a dinner okay and he has a platter of food and upon entrance into the dining hall he, dump, he accidentally dumps all of the food onto the queen's lap and he's immediately fired. That servant is gone because he miserably failed in his mission. And this is like the nation of Israel. They miserably failed in their mission. And so the king must hire a new servant and we must look to a different servant. Look with me to verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold. My chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Israel as a servant failed miserably in its mission. But there is another servant who has been given to us 
as our hope, light, and salvation. And so for the remainder of our time, I would like for us to consider this servant and his work. If you're taking notes this morning, the first point was that the disobedience of the servant leads to the judgment of Yahweh. The second point is this. The work of the servant leads to the praise of Yahweh. The work of the servant leads to the praise of Yahweh in verses 1 through 17. And just so you are aware, uh, we are going to be spending a disproportionate amount of time in verses 2 through 4, and then kind of giving a cursory look to the remaining verses. In verse 2 it says, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. And this is simply a reference to the fact that the servant of Yahweh, this servant, this ultimate Israelite, he was quiet. He was not aggressive or combative. He's not self-promoting or arrogant. He is humble and lowly. And, and, and I'm sure you know by this point that this servant refers to Christ. And there's an account in the life of Christ in which this passage is quoted. And in that account, let me just tell it to us briefly. I want to walk away from here, but I can't because then I don't have the mic. But So I'm stuck. Um, and so are you. <laughs> so, but, um, so, so here's the thing, okay? So basically, Christ walks into a synagogue on a Sabbath. And there is a man there with a withered hand. And the religious leaders approach Jesus because they know that this Jesus figure has been healing, you know, people across the nation. And so they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And of course, the answer of the religious leaders is, of course it's not, you fool. You can't do that on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. To which Jesus replies, okay, listen. If one of you has a sheep, and it gets out of its pen, and it goes down the road, and it falls into a pit, like, you're not going to wait until sundown, until the Sabbath is over, to go and help your sheep. You're going to walk over and help that sheep get out of that pit so that it doesn't die. And Jesus says, how much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? Jesus goes on to uh, heal the man's withered hand, okay? And the religious leaders, rather than saying, oh, wow, that's a great point. Human beings are greater than sheep and this Jesus, we don't really know who he is, but he's done a good thing for this man. No, that's not what they say. They say they conspire together. They, they get together and they conspire and they brainstorm how they might destroy this miracle worker that they do not like. And at that moment, Jesus could have gotten in their face and corrected them because obviously he was on the side of the truth. But rather than correcting them and being combative and being quarrelsome, he just walks away. He withdraws, he continues to heal people, and then tells them, hey, just don't go out and spreading the message of who I am quite yet. He wasn't quarrelsome. He wasn't combative. He wasn't arrogant. He was quiet and lowly and humble, the servant of Yahweh. We're also told, verse 3, that he, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So he's humble, but he is also gentle. A bruised reed, okay? And a reed back then would have been like a dime a dot in them very um, readily. And so if you had a bruised or a broken reed, then it probably would have been easier for you to discard of it. 
And a smoldering wick would have been sort of a similar sort of thing that if there's a wick that was smoldering, it wasn't working properly, it probably would have been easier to discard of it and then to get a new one. But this servant of Yahweh, we are told, will not break the bruised reed and he will not do away with the smoldering wick. Okay? He's not going to get rid of the, of the, of the bruised reed, which, which is a little bit on the useless side. And he's not going to do away with the smoldering wick, which is nearing extinct, extinction or it's going to be extinguished. And perhaps that's a little bit of the way that you feel concerning yourself this morning. Because obviously Isaiah and obviously Matthew, who quotes this passage, he's not literally talking about reeds. He's not literally talking about, about a lamp. He is talking about human beings. And maybe you, you, you find yourself this morning and you feel a little bit down and out. You feel that you're expendable or that you're not very good for much. Or you deeply feel your brokenness and you've been battered by the pressures and the trials of life. Or you're keenly aware of your weakness. Maybe it's a spiritual weakness. You just feel yourself giving yourself over and over and over again to the same patterns of sin. Or, or, or you just feel a general sort of weakness that you have no inner strength and no inner reserves that you feel as if you cannot go on. Even though you look out on the outside, just inwardly you are struggling. And perhaps that's how you have arrived here this morning. Fatigued, feeling fragile, feeling vulnerable, feeling broken. And because of that, you have convinced yourself that... You are, in fact, unlovable. That, that because of your weakness and because of your brokenness, yes, technically you know that God accepts sinners, but inwardly and inside, it is hard for you to feel the, the burning passion of God's love for you specifically. That you have deemed yourself unlovable, weak, fragile, vulnerable, expendable, and if that is you here this morning, I want you to know that God and his son have a massive place in his heart for people just like you. You see, because here is what happens. I would venture more of a conservative church. We take God's word seriously. We take holiness seriously. We take sin seriously. We think that God is high and supreme and life is about him and not about us. And so these are the things that we, we, we talk about regularly and over and over again. But in a church like ours, while we can over and over and over again talk about the supremacy of God and the holiness of God, sometimes we can be hesitant to talk about the tenderness and the compassion of God towards sinners like you and me. And what this passage does is that it corrects us and it tells us and it talks to us and it to us and says to us that God has a massive place in his heart for the weak, vulnerable, broken, and fragile. And so if you are here this morning and you are that bruised reed or you are that smoldering wick, then I just want you to, to remind you that this servant is compassionate towards the, the weak and the suffering. And if you remember Christ in his earthly ministry, then he was actually drawn towards, he gravitated towards the sick and the needy. 
And if that was how he conducted himself in his earthly ministry, then that is also how he conducts himself today by means of his spirit and by means of his church. He will deal tenderly with you. He will deal compassionately with you. And he will deal with patience towards you. Let's move on to verse 4. It says, He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. While you and I are weak, the servant Christ is strong and able. Now, in this part of the world, we don't often come across uh, riptides because we're in landlocked southern Ontario, but if you were to go to the east coast and if you're swimming in the ocean there, then you could very well encounter a riptide. Okay, and a riptide is a little river that just forms uh, along the coast and it, it pushes you out towards sea if you are caught in it. And there is no way that the average person is able to swim themselves against the riptide. So if you're caught in a riptide, then you will be uh, pulled out to sea and you will likely be helpless. You'll be able to kind of stay afloat there in those moments. Um, and if you're an average swimmer, then you will need help from somebody else. And so in that moment, what you want, if you're caught in a riptide and you're stuck out at sea, what you want is not your buddy next to you drowning alongside of you. What you want is you want like a lifeguard. You want a coast guard. You want someone who has been trained for a situation such as this. You want someone who is a strong swimmer, a better swimmer than you, more capable than you, better trained than you, so that they can help you out of that situation. And if we want someone who is stronger and more capable than us to help us while we are caught out at sea, so it is true in the spiritual life as well. We want someone who is stronger and more capable than us to help us in our times of greatest need. And that is what we find in Christ. Look with me. It says that he will not grow faint or be discouraged. While it is easy for us to grow faint, while it is easy for us to grow discouraged, okay, this servant will bring his mission to completion. He is strong. And he is spirit-empowered, and he is resolved to complete the mission that was given to him by Yahweh. He is, match, he, is, he is matchless, and he is powerful beyond comprehension. And he will work tirelessly and hard, until and relentlessly, until God's justice and his truth is, is established across the face of the earth. Christ will complete the mission that was given to him. Now, we're going to move on, but I just want to say briefly that sometimes what we need in life is not an answer to all of our questions. We don't really even need the assurance that all of our circumstances are going to work out. And we don't really even need the affirmation that you're wonderful and you're great and you're going to get through this because you're so strong. What we need in those moments of despair, discouragement and feelings of weakness and fragility and vulnerableness. We need to see the heart of Christ for sinners like you and me. And we need to hear of Christ's tender compassion towards the weak. We need to hear that his heart 
gravitates towards the weak and the needy. And what Christ needs is not the strong and not the weak, but he does gravitate towards the weak and the vulnerable. Because Christ came into the world not to call the healthy, but the sick. And he came to call not the righteous, but those who are sinners. And friend, if you see yourself as a sinner, if you see yourself as weak and and unable to keep going, and if you see yourself as fragile and exhausted, Christ's heart is for you. Now, for the sake of time, let's move on. A, a few months ago, I found myself in a hospital room. And, and, I, and I was actually kind of blind because um, we had forgotten my glasses and I had taken out my contacts. And uh, my contacts take like, the solution takes like six hours to neutralize or whatever. So I was like, you know, half blind because I can barely see without glasses. But, uh, but either way, we were there to deliver our third baby. And um, there are some complications early on in that pregnancy for Mark. And also, we were back and forth at the hospital several times in the weeks leading up uh, to the delivery date. And so there was a lot of waiting, and so there was a lot of anticipation for the arrival of baby Mark. And so when Mark finally came, we were so joyous and so relieved that he was finally here because the waiting and the anticipation was finally over for him to arrive. And this is the imagery that God uses in our passage to describe his salvation. He actually uses the imagery of a pregnant woman giving birth and going into labor to describe the salvation that he is going to accomplish for the world. If you look at verse 14, God says that for a very long time, I waited. I restrained myself. I could have acted, but I, but I held off. But now the time had come. Now the time had come for, for God to birth his salvation into the world. And, 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 and that time has come. And in that salvation, God is going to accomplish a number of things. Okay? And we're going to consider those. But, but just before we do, um, I, I want to make this comment that, that obviously in the grand redemption of God, it includes physical elements. Okay? So God is going to renew the earth and he's going to give us new bodies. Um, and so the, the, the physical is part of God's grand redemption. But I think it's important for us that our passage has spiritual aspects in view as well. And how do we know that? Well, I think we know that because when God says to Israel, you are blind and you are deaf, I don't think that he's saying to the whole nation, all of you can't see and all of you are unable to hear. God is saying to Israel that they are blind and they are deaf because they have an inability or an unwillingness to hear his word and order their lives according to it. God says to Israel that they are blind and they are deaf because of their sinful propensities against him. So all that to say, when this is talking about light and darkness, it's talking about blindness and sight, I do think that there is a spiritual element at play, and that's how we're going to consider these verses in the next few moments. So what will this servant do? I'm going to be drawing from verse 6 and 7. And um, the first thing that this servant will do is that he will be a covenant for the people. He will be a covenant for the people. And we've talked about this just briefly already. But perhaps you have arrived here this morning and you just feel that you're an outsider. 
or you feel that you have been forsaken, or, or you just feel that you're unacceptable or unlovely. And, and, and somehow that, that because of those things that you are unacceptable to God. And, th- and, and what this text is saying is that this servant will be the means, he will be the way in which you can be brought into friendship with God. Second, he'll be a light for the nations. And again, maybe you've arrived here this morning and you're in broad daylight, but just as you consider your life and as you consider your heart, you, you're overwhelmed by darkness. Perhaps there's something in the past that you have done that you just cannot release and let go, or perhaps there's something that has been done against you and so it makes you feel unclean. Or perhaps that you have even gotten involved in spiritual things like the occult or fortune telling, and as a result of those things, you just feel an uncleanness and a darkness that is, resides over you. Or you feel enslaved to your evil impulses and passions. What this text says is that the servant will shine light into the very dark crevices of your, or he will shine lightness, sorry, into the very dark crevices of your darkness. This servant is a light shining servant. And we know that Christ is the light of the world and he is able to shine light into the darkest places of your heart and life third he'll open the eyes of the blind he'll open the eyes of the blind and maybe you find yourself blinded by empty religion or maybe you're running on a perpetual treadmill of good works and trying to earn the favor of god or maybe you have been taught over and over again that the way to the good life is to reject God and his ways and to elevate our own values and man-made wisdom. And if that is you, well then this text says that the servant is able to open the eyes of the blind. He's able to open our eyes to see both the beauty of God and the goodness of his ways. He's able to open our eyes so that rather than rejecting God and his ways, we will embrace them with open arms because we see them for the beauty that they possess. And notice, if you look at verse 16, he will do this without hindrance, without obstacle, and nothing will get in the way of Yahweh accomplishing his salvation through his servant. Verse 16, these are the things I do and I do not forsake them. Earlier on, he's referred to as a mighty warrior who acts passionately and with zeal, and he will defeat his enemies. As God accomplishes salvation in the world and in our lives, he will be unhindered and unobstructed in his work of redemption. So just in closing then, what shall be our response to this? What shall be our response to this text, but even more importantly, to this God and to his servant? I told you at the very beginning that music is important to a culture because it reveals to us what that culture values and idolizes. The music, the drumbeat of a culture will give us the treasures of that culture. And so if our songs reflect what we value as a people, then obviously our songs are going to be different than the world's songs. And what we sing about is going to be unique than what everybody else is singing about. 
And furthermore, the fact that we sing and the fact that we think, sing about things as a church is incredibly important to our life as a community because it expresses to the world, it expresses to one another, and it expresses to God the things that we most value. So if you look with me to 42 verses 10 through 12, we see this happening in our passage. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. Friends, we have our own songs. And we have our own tunes because we have our own God and our own Savior and our own salvation. We have a God who has miraculously, powerfully, and mightily, and compassionately, and graciously worked in history and through his servant to accomplish on our behalf a wonderful, magnificent, and gracious salvation. You see, because we, like Israel, are disobedient to his word. And we, like Israel, are disloyal to God himself. And we, like Israel, all the time devalue the very worth of God. And we say to God that we would rather have other things than him, and that is the height of idolatry. But God has worked powerfully in history and through his servant to save miserable sinners like you and me. By sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a perfect life, to have a compassionate ministry, and to not quarrel and to not fight and to not defend his own rights, but to go to the cross and to die a criminal's death and to bear upon that cross at Calvary the wrath of the Father for our sins. And at the end of that mission, because he was powerful to complete it, he cried out, it is finished. And he finished and completed the work of redemption that was given to him by the Father on that cross. He was buried and he was raised on the third day to show that he's able to conquer all of his enemies, including sin and death. There is no better salvation in all the world. And so therefore, we have no better song to sing in all the world, than the songs which elevate and exalt the praises of Jesus Christ for the salvation that he has accomplished for us. And so as we go away from here this morning, I hope, I pray, I plead with you that you would place your hope in the, one, in the only person that hope can be found. That you would place your hope in the servant of Yahweh who brings about magnificent redemption for the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. We're grateful for um, no rain. We're grateful that we can meet outside like this. We know that it's just more conducive for um, fellowship and, and talking uh, to one another and um, ministering to each other even after the service. And so, Father, we just pray and we ask that even as we walk away from here, that our hearts will be encouraged and that we would have hope as your people. And as a result, sing your praises, not just now, but every day and throughout the week. And for all our days and all our years. As individuals and as a church. 
And we pray that as we do this here, and as we are committed to your gospel going across the nations, that more and more people would come to sing your praises for the great salvation that you have accomplished for us in Jesus Christ, and that this would be pleasing to you, and that this would glorify your great name, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.